Pay your dues and sew your name patch on your jacket. It's time for the 27 Club, the world's only podcast about the group so exclusive you have to die to get in, hosted by 27 Club Fan Club President Pete and the treasurer PJ. Talkbox PJ. Makes a return. I'm. I. I've never been better than when Talkbox PJ is on the show. Wait. <laughs> you can't Talkbox PJ. You can't. You can't use sentences that long. I. I lost the thread halfway through that one, man. I have no idea what you said. problem. <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> that is a personal problem. Yeah. Talk- <laughs> that was just some feedback. Um, PJ, it, Talkbox PJ, it makes a lot of sense you're coming back today because we're talking about an album with a lot of Talkbox guitar work on it. Is that is that why you came back? Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> It's just a coincidence, is what you're saying? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, what? <laughs> okay. Um, sure. Okay. Um, so then I, I have no idea. Okay, no one does, yeah. That makes sense. It's how do you do you have to sometimes empty out that little tube of spit or to, like does it is there an overflow catcher or something? Yeah, I kinda of feel like after a while you can hear the like the moisture building up in there. It's a little it's a little sloppy. Pretty nasty. Do you think? How do you think? How do they? How do you handle that in the studio if you're recording a song and it just gets too wet in the middle of a song? A lot of what? Oh yeah. Okay. Sure. That makes sense. Huh? I think you said, "Is this a Doors podcast?" What's this indoor fucking? No, I, I don't know why you would th- Again, you're on a show. <laughs> We're talking about one of the more famous guitar players to use the talk box today on the show. No, it's not Peter. No, it's, it's James Hendrix. I, um, like, I was going to make some references to the song that he plays talk box on, on the, but you obviously don't really have any idea. It's strange. <laughs> So you're solely, solely a Peter Frampton fan when it comes to talk box guitar. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. And then also the one, the guitar solo from that one Steely Dan song. You love that too. Is that the backing vocals on the chorus? Were a talk box? I had no idea. 
They always say it's Michael McDonald, but they leave out the part that it was him playing Talkbox guitar. Oh, wow. That's the, I gotta say, his voice compared to yours, though, it's a lot smoother without the, like, for both being a Talkbox guitar. Yeah, that basically sounds like Michael McDonald. So give us a little bit of that peg backing buckle. <laughs> That's pretty good. Well, thanks for coming by, Talkbox PJ. It's always a treat to see you. <laughs> yeah, someday, next time, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say goodbye to you for now because... But I think next time you come, you have to teach me how a talk box works, because I'm just now realizing it's... I really, truly have no idea. Oh, okay. It's, yeah, it's pretty magical. That makes sense. Okay, goodbye. Thanks for coming. Well, what a special episode to have Talkbox PJ here. Amazing, which means, I mean, PJ cut in like once there, but yeah to have talk box pj i only have one microphone so we had incredible. to we had to share yeah yeah that talk box takes up a lot of room too it's about half the room it's sure. like a computer in yeah. the 70s yeah yeah well pj how the heck are you you know pete i am good how are you that's good i'm fantastic excited to talk about the album excited that we have our first our first guest on uh yeah. on the 27 club a new inductee to the 27 Club fan club that we're running here. Yeah. I'm waving All right, right now. Yeah. I'm waving, waving right now. You can't see me waving, He's but waving. just imagine me waving. I thought you were waving, waving your rights to be on the podcast. No, no, like, no. Well, that's that's a different kind of wave. Things. This is more like a sign. He's wave. waving his rights okay. to have any, yeah. To, for I'm any waving edits. my right hand. Anything you say. This is, this is the hand that is waving. But I'm not waving nice. those rights. Well, would you like to introduce yourself? <laughs> and with that introduction, <laughs> it's a new friend of the show, an old friend in life, but new friend in the show. Uh, we have Thomas. What's up? I'm Thomas. I know a hey, lot Thomas. less than Welcome. it might sound like I do. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. It's I. We actually didn't talk about I was going to say we talked about this uh, off mic, but we didn't. It's amazing you haven't been on yet because we've been friends for a long time and I would guess you're at least somewhat of a fan of the all the bands we've talked about previously so it's crazy that we haven't gotten you on the show yet but i mean this is a great episode so to make a debut on that's i know true. you got thomas handpicked you gotta meet the, talkbox pj too the, yeah i know that's I was, why it's he it's had a, a sneak it's rare a sneak peek in terms and, of bits yeah. that's <laughs> a great bit to walk in on you know it's only a bit, a bit, yeah, like a comedy bit. Talkbox PJ just shows up. He's only shown up like I don't twice know, man. It definitely, he's just a very special. Felt, that guy's not funny. That definitely felt like walking in on your parents. That that was just like an experience. Oh, yeah. where it's like this intimacy between a man and his talkbox. Oh sure. Yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. That guy loves his talkbox. Oh, you're box. saying they are not me and talkbox PJ's rapport. It was. <laughs> I was, was thinking... talkbox PJ's <laughs> okay. report with the talkbox with the talkbox. Uh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. I the get it. That talk. makes sense. Yeah, that's nice. Well, Thomas, welcome. You are 
a fellow music fan, and this is a little bit of a different show than we've, because previously we've just talked about one band's career for the whole show. This time we're talking about a group of artists, colloquially known as the 27 Club, um, and of all people, we don't, I, it's because they all, is it because there's 27 of them, PJ? I think, I forget. Well, I don't know where we landed on that. We either think it's like a Disneyland Club 33 thing, where yeah, they just chose a random yeah, number, or there are maybe 27 of them, and yeah. maybe when you know another one joins, somebody has to leave. I don't really know if they like Something. keep it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, so far, the first one died when they were 27, which seems like a crazy coincidence yeah. that they would be in the 20, like Robert Johnson, that he would be in the 27 Club. Yeah. Um, but I guess as we go on, we'll see if we can figure out why yeah, it's if called that. there's a that. It's very pattern confusing. of some sort. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, Thomas, so what I was going to... We usually ask people their thoughts on, on the band. So I guess we're going to go ahead and, and ask you that for Jimi Hendrix, but we also really need your thoughts on the 27 yeah. Club. I as mean, a whole it's it's a nice number you know it's it's three cubed that's a yeah. that's a beautiful thing you got a lot of threes right there I and mean, that might be part of it you know that's true that means jack white must be a member because he's obsessed with he the really is three. it's it's kind of hmm. weird i guess when it's we get weird. there yeah yeah i said to do some math so thomas what's your history with the 27 club and when did you first may i ask them? a question before you answer that yes, one? yes yes how old are you i'm 28 Oh, uh, can you God can you take it. your headphones off for a second, Thomas? I just need to talk to Pete. Uh, uh, make it okay. Okay, yeah. the headphones are coming yeah. off right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pete, what the fuck? I know, man. I thought I, I know. thought you were only here. I'll tell him. Okay, Thomas. So really, so PJ and I are twenty-seven, and we did just announce that you were like a new member of the club. Yeah. And you have to be twenty-seven to be in the fan club of the twenty-seven club. So just say you're twenty-seven. Okay, I'm okay, I'm twenty-seven in spirit. Okay, PGL edited that yeah. so that it sounds all legit. Yeah. Like, you kind of, well, the spirit, but it's fine. He'll edit it. I'll fix it, it in post. It'll be, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be yes. perfect. So, yeah, what are your, what, PJ, or Thomas? Whatever the hell your name is. Who the fuck am Come I on, Peter. To? Come on. Get it together. What are your thoughts on the, to- what, uh, what's your experience with the 27 Club? Is there anything you've ever thought about outside of seeing a weird mural on Hate Street? <laughs> uh, just in passing, it definitely seems one yeah. of those things that, uh, attracts people that don't have who buy the albums is is really it that's that's mm-hmm. what it feels like whereas my experience especially with like Jimi hendrix is i grew up listening to him on compilation albums because this was the 90s and my dad was a uh, economical man so <laughs> yeah i think every dad we've talked about yeah. this before i think every dad's cd collection Dad love greatest hits yeah their record collections were probably a, you know a lot of real albums yeah. but their cd collections just really distill down to just a lot of compilations. which a lot of yeah a lot of those 20th century masters oh, yeah. compilations great yeah 20th century yeah. masters oh man they came in right at the right have time too for many dads. compilations yeah. like my dad definitely had multiple led zeppelin best ofs where it's like why do you need this many different it's all the same songs my dad had like two different songs three different and he kept them all in the car at the same time jimmy buffett <laughs> nice. uh, compilation best ofs i mean you got to hear margaritaville as many times yeah. as you can well i think one of them had 
it started out with Margaritaville and then ended on a, sure. with a live version of Margaritaville. Oh, nice. I mean, that's his, you know he's playing that twice at every concert. Oh, yeah. Oh. How many <laughs> Hawaiian shirts does Jimmy Buffett own, though? Um, I would guess at least 365. But, I mean, does he own those? Or do you think that sure. he's the kind of guy who has, like, one that he actually owns and everything else is just product placement? Oh, interesting. Because mm. Jimmy thought. Buffett has to sell a lot of Hawaiian shirts think, to remain Jimmy you Buffett. You think he's got a Tommy Bahama sponsorship? I mean, that's like a match yeah. made in heaven. That's true. There's yeah. nothing more perfect for Tommy Bahama. And potentially you know, even Maui Jim. That's tr- yeah, which is just a richer wow. version of Tommy Bahama. Bahama Tommy? That's right. Tommy Bahama? I don't remember. Tommy Bahama. Okay. Um, yeah, Tommy Bahama you find at Ross, yeah. but Maui Jim you find at TJ Maxx. Yeah. You know, it's funny because he's got two guys in the band named Maui Jim and Tommy <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? There it is. Yeah, I, th- I think we cracked it. Those are the bongo players. So you... Uh, so you grew up listening to compilations like like oh, yeah. Was, oh, yeah. like like every good kid in 2004. Yeah, you know it. I mean, you got to yeah. put that on the iPod. Yeah. And this was back in the day when they mm-hmm. didn't have the metadata on the CD, so you had to manually input what year it was, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Some of us still do just for the fun. Yeah, of but yeah. I'm not sick like that. I'm sick in many other ways, but I'm not That's sick true. in that particular way. You you are the minority Shame. in this uh, this uh, group right yeah, here. It's one of three. One of three. Yeah. I bet you guys only listen to Flack. Oh, God, I wish. My Pono kicked the bucket last year, though. <laughs> this, it does feel like you two are Zoom. It's guys. crazy that it didn't even last it, it didn't even last as long as Neil Young. I kind of thought it might outlive him, but... Yeah, a lot of people think a lot of things will outlive Neil Young. Grunge, he, as the grandfather of Grunge, he, he lived through its birth and death. <laughs> Which is kind of incredible. Most grandfathers don't live longer than their grandchildren. Speaking of Neil Young, and you guys brought up Robert Johnson, mm-hmm. Neil Young has to have sold his soul to the devil, right? Like, there's no way that Neil Young Did he ender end up at that crossroads, mm-hmm. though? I mean, it's probably like... Well, if you think the devil is, the devil is David Crosby, then yeah, I think so. I mean, that, I think that does track. That's true. I think David Crosby definitely like, owns Neil Young's soul. Yeah, I was going to say, it does feel like that's that's a pretty good, uh, you know, Neil Young being in Crosby, Stills, and Nash never really quite made sense, and so it makes sense that that was part of his trade in his soul, just that he'd go back to making bad Crazy Horse albums in the 80s. Well, and then it it just seems, well, they're not all bad, some of them are okay. Um, I mean, yeah. Um, but it does for someone who sold a soul to the devil. I would say his career is pretty hit and miss, though. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's not. It's usually the devil has a higher bad. I, it it, it goes though, right? Like he sold it on interest, so the devil had to like come and make different payments, and Neil Young was like behind sure, on it, sure. and you know that makes sense. The yeah, whole yeah, payment yeah. plan. Okay, I had no idea. Yeah, that it was so. <laughs> kind of thought it was a one and no, done. No, it's much more like capitalism now. Yeah, they can finance. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much anyone actually can sell their soul now because it's you don't have to have that great a credit to get in. My soul's an NFT. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Well, now I'm leaving. I'm, I'm heading out the door with that one right there. Um, what 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 artists do you think besides Robert Johnson and we've just discussed Neil Young have sold their soul to the devil or tried to? Try Jimmy Page, obviously. Jimmy Page. 
Oh, obviously, and failed. The devil had no, no interest. No, he was like, that guy's like too scary. Too shriveled up on heroin. <laughs> There's not there's much nothing there. There's not much substance. There's nothing there. Yeah. You know, I think a left field choice would be like Katy Perry. Sure. Hmm. Well, she was a Christian singer and now she lives in sin. So That's true. Exactly. Obviously she did some some sort of And now she's obviously that. trying to like capitalize on that cachet as, as she's fallen out of the public eye and this Vegas residency. Right. And Celine Dion, hey, actually. Yeah, I heard she's starting a she's starting a mega church tour. This this track. And she's having Orlando Bloom's baby. That too. That's a lot of things. That's just a fun fact. Pregnant. Katy Perry pregnant and heading back to church to mm-hmm. her. See, that's that's definitely the devil right there. Rosemary's baby type John. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Celine Dion, too, actually. Another one where it's like, you don't really think about it, but no one stays on top for that long without doing something to make a transaction with Satan. The other insane thing about her is that apparently when she's like around her home with her children and husband or whatever, she doesn't speak because she thinks it'll mess up her vocal cords. So she basically hmm. only speaks or sings when she's like warming up and then performing, which is the craziest shit I've ever heard in my life. And that sounds like the work really? of the devil. Yeah. She's, how do those husband and kids put up with it? I guess the money. Sign language. Oh. Put up with it? It's like your mom's <laughs> never going to tell you what that you did something wrong. Unless she just comes and points at it That's like true. really emphatically. But Thomas, she is French. I don't. Your mom's also never going to tell you that she loves you, though, Pete. Ooh. Well, I don't think right rich now. people yeah. do that anyway. True. True. But, I mean, they still, like, you know, you still have to point at your child when they're doing something wrong or when they're first hooked on heroin to tell yeah. them where the rehab clinic is. <laughs> you think Celine Dion's kids have trouble <laughs> with She's that? French-Canadian, man. It's probably more of a problem with poutine, <laughs> but have you ever met a French-Canadian? Oh, okay. They're dangerous people, man. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you. A lot of Counter-Strike. A lot of French Canadians. Never had a good experience with one. Oh, yeah, really. So... You might get canceled for that statement. By the Quebecois. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking you were talking about Battlefield for a second, and I was like, ooh, yeah, you're already canceled. Counter-Strike. Never mind. The Eastern European game. Much... Yeah, much better subreddit than Battlefield. (laughs) True. Um... So, thanks for those thoughts on Jimi Hendrix and the 27 Club, Thomas. Uh, let's get to <laughs> let's get to some some very important business uh, for the show, which is uh, we have some some fan reviews oh. to talk about. Um, I don't think actually it's not called fan reviews. What would it listener? Let's say listener reviews because most of them are fans. That's <laughs> true. Okay, Pete, what is our <laughs> listener mail? She's got a phonograph. <laughs> um, I, not exactly listener mail, just I was cruising around the internet uh, the other day. Yeah, um, as you do. Yeah, and in between VR porn videos, I ran across uh, this list of uh, Beach Boys Boys reviews ah. that um, are not... I, it took me a long time to figure out. It's because... A bunch of them are from iTunes in other countries, so that's why we've never seen them before. Huh. Is um, that true? Yeah. Because we can yeah, we can only see the iTunes reviews from America. 
Um, Whoa. But there's ones from other countries. So we have some some listener reviews of the show. And I guess to, <clears throat> sorry, to preface this, um, please review us <laughs> on iTunes. Because yeah. not, not that, like, we, we don't have advertisers or anything, so it doesn't really matter in terms of the show. It's just a little sad that we've been doing this show for, like, for multiple years and almost all the reviews are from like the first six months that we started doing the show. So please, if you're still a listener, even if it's not a good review, just make it look like anyone's still interested, please. Yeah. (laughs) So that would be nice. Cause I know we get a lot of people listening, especially through, uh, through iTunes, I think. Right. That's kind of our main, our main thing and through SoundCloud. So, um, just, you know, yeah, make it look like this show still exists. That'd be great. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um and it it will be still under the beach boys boys because it's this is obviously the beach boys boys presents, presents the 27 club the 27 club uh presented by the 27 club fan club so let's see the first one um is actually a new one but it's still about the beach boys boys weirdly and it's also from someone who came to us from Ceylon. yeah um which was like literally three years ago that they told people on their show to listen to our show. So I don't know why this person was so late, but from October Maybe 31st they were just waiting year, for them to finish Pet Sounds, and it took that whole yeah. three years. I guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the title of it is, it's already has a spelling mistake. Uh, it's Ceylon Past This, and I'm yeah. 98% sure they meant to say Past This. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's but what they, they were going they for. Didn't. But it's one out of five stars. <laughs> Which is the only... One or not five star review we have, I think. Uh, on the American, on one, the American yeah. one, yes, yes. But we do have some ratings with no actual written review, which is annoying. But whatever. Uh, okay, for Beach Boys content, listen to Ceylon. As for the Beach Boys boys, it tries to be irreverent and funny, but is mostly obnoxious. <laughs> True, not worth your time. Untrue. It's totally worth your time. Also, uh, that's fine. Okay, so thank you to John one 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 for that review. That's literally his. It's a good name. Okay, so the next one is from Apple Podcasts Japan. Oh, whoa! Are we big in Japan? Yeah, I don't know. The title of it is "Don't Say Bad Words to the Beach Boys." It's two out of five stars. Wow. The review is: I love the Beach Boys, so I listen to this podcast. Two DJs seem to love it too. I think they were the DJs, I yeah. think, in this review. Two DJs seem to love it too, but they often used bad words. If you love something, you shouldn't use bad words to it, such as garbage, suck, and so on. <laughs> Someone should tell my wife, am I right? Uh, DJs often use bad words. I showed them just now. Uh, they made me disappoint, especially about MIU album and Light album and keeping the summer alive. <laughs> I love them, but they don't like them. I was sad. <laughs> they listened all the way through to so, those albums. Wow. What's yeah? I mean, it's especially sad because like you can like those albums, but you you have to know you're in the minority, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, those are I pretty universally considered the low point of the Beach Boys' entire career until their like one '90s album. Yeah, so. they've named the bottom three. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. So then one other one <laughs> um, via Apple Podcasts, Great Britain. PJ, where you uh, live? I don't know if we've talked about where you're current re- currently residing. Um, you were in foggy old London town for a while. Yeah, I guess. Now I'm in Seattle. I don't really know. 
Sure. I guess. Oh, yeah, right. Because you're... You move there in advance of our Kurt Cobain episodes just to soak up as much of the local culture as possible so that you can be really So informed. I know what the grunge scene is all about, you know? You're really, you're working on doing a stereotype show about the real way Kurt Cobain died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was murder. Um, okay. So this is from Apple Podcast Great Britain. Uh, the title is Utter Crap. <laughs> wow. It's one star again. And the review is Purple Rubbish don't bother and i don't know whether purple rubbish is like a weird british phrase you might be able to clue us in here pj or whether they autocorrected from pure rubbish i think it autocorrected from pure are you sure you've never heard you never sat down at a pub to get a pint and someone said oh this uh did you see the news today it's purple rubbish no and when you queen knighted another musician when you google it it's just a bunch of purple trash cans complain about (laughs) okay so not a thing not a thing so that's pretty much it so wow that's great um that japanese one thank you we have we're at a solid three and a half stars on everywhere you can review us because it's either it's like four five star reviews and two one star reviews yeah (laughs) so it just averages out every time to three and a half out of five stars so uh if if you hey you know what rate us please yeah we don't give a shit if it's one star obviously we'll read it on air just uh yeah again make it look like anyone's yeah. listening let's get some engagement geez so yeah that has been uh that has been listener reviews and if you want to reach out to us directly you can email us at beachboysboys at gmail.com and the password for the email is capital nine if you need to log in to send us the email thanks pete so do we want to start talking electric lady land yeah. <laughs> so Thomas, you grew up listening to compilations mostly. What was the first full Jimi Hendrix album that you listened to? Was it this one or a different one? Uh probably was this one or Are You Experienced? But it was most likely yeah. this one because of the closer, which we're not gonna get to yet, but Oh, I thought you were gonna say because of the album cover with all the naked ladies. That's one experience. Thomas Thomas picked yeah. it out off the record oh, store. Yeah. That's the same reason I learned how to read from a Playboy. There we go. Whereas... And people say no one reads the articles. It's all about right? the North American reprise record. Jimi Hendrix and that like weird infrared kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah. there were... We'll get to that. We'll get, we'll, to, we'll get to the cover. We'll get yeah. to the cover. No, there, what I was going to say is there were no we'll tits the on cover. the album cover that I saw. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Well, you got the wrong really version, did, friend, because yeah. there was absolutely a version with... Oh, yeah. Okay. There's a lot of them. So, the ex- the experience. Started recording for Electric Ladyland. Technically, I mean, we talked about um, Burning of the Midnight Lamp was their single around when Axis came out. So, technically, they started recording the album around then. But, really, they started in earnest recording for Electric Ladyland at the brand new record plant uh, in New York City in late 67. Uh, which means Jimmy gets to come back stateside for a little while, which is, I assume, good for back him. Back to his old roots. Yeah, he. I know he spent a lot of time in London, um, but I don't know. You got to think he liked New York better. You know, it just it's nice being on American soil, PJ. Well, and you know he speaks the language, about. so it just makes sense. That's right. He didn't. It, you get into so many confusing conversations with street urchins in London, mm. where you just like they go, "Oi, governor, give me a oi, I need a, three a, pence for a, a penny." penny. <laughs> And you're like, I don't, 
I don't know what you're, you like pointed your ear. Like I can't yeah. understand you. And you're like, no speak English, speak American. Yeah. And they just don't get it. So can't, people keep can't trust those street urchins. Tea and it's true. Biscuits. It makes no sense. I know they keep whacking those stick loop things at you <laughs> over and over. It's just, it's just obnoxious on your way, just on your way to record a rock album. And they're wearing their, and the damn Beatles are playing on the roof the whole time. It's just what a fucking country. <laughs> so loud. It's so obnoxious. On my lunch break, no less, too. We're trying to get business done here. <laughs> that is the... So they start recording the... at the brand new record plant. Yeah, it, it's... Okay, I know they were up there for a while. This is Mark. Yeah, Beth, okay. I know they were up there for a while. But there are two separate people, one of whom is like, it's a nice way to spend your lunch yeah. break. And then another guy's like, we're trying to get work yeah. done here. And it's like, which is it? Yeah. Are you on your lunch break? Or are you trying to get work done? And if you're working through lunch, you're the asshole. My favorite thing is that either people knew it was the Beatles or didn't, but they were like, oh, yeah, it's nice. It's nice. Um, yeah. And then yeah. there was like one guy who was like, I like those stuff. I don't like disc rubbish. There's one guy who absolutely <laughs> hates, and he's a younger guy, but like most of the older yes. people are like, oh, that's quite nice to do a new free concert. Like, it's. That guy was such a fucking obnoxious yeah. little prick. He was. Like a 24 year old who was like. Too cool for like the he was Beatles. on his way to his first bank job. Yeah. And was like, oi. Being obnoxious. That was actually a young Mick Jagger. <laughs> In 1970? Yeah. 1969, I mean. I was going to say it was a young Matthew McConaughey from Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> He was on his way to jerk off for the first time of, of six times that day. Um, okay, so they're recording at the record plant, uh, which becomes kind of uh, That's my a very famous recording studio. But also, yeah, but also moves to L.A., which is weird. So I don't know how that happens. Did the building um, moved? No, they just moved the studio, but named it the same thing, and it stayed famous. How the fuck does that work? Anyway. That doesn't work. So... During the recording process, Jimmy decided that he wanted to just invite everybody he knew. That sounds <laughs> He right. said, invite your friends to the recording studio. We'll just make it a party. Uh, and this combined with him becoming more of a perfectionist uh, in the studio uh, caused Chaz Chandler to get all pissy and quit in the middle of recording. Yeah. Uh, which is the second time we've talked about a manager quitting in the middle of recording an album. Mm-hmm. You remember Lug quit, yeah. <laughs> huffily stormed out during the recording of um, at her satanic majesty's right. request. So it's apparently, I mean, I guess if you're a manager, you really only have limited times you can quit. You can either quit right before they go on stage at a show. Yeah. You can quit in the middle of a tour, leaving them like holding the bag with no manager. Right. Or you can quit in the middle of a recording an album, forcing the band to then produce themselves and then go on to greater heights without you. Or you can never quit. Like, if those are really only choices. secretly stolen all of their money for years. Yeah. Yes. Or you can just die like Brian. Yes. Yeah. here you go. <laughs> or or so. you can be their road manager that just turns into a guy who seems to just hang out, even though they haven't toured in five years. Yeah. yeah. Plays the hammer once yeah. in a while. Um, so Chaz out of the picture for this, uh, for this recording and, uh, Jimmy then takes up the reins as producer for the first time. And, uh, he's still working with the same engineer, the Eddie Kramer fella, uh, who worked on Axis Bold as Love. Um, but he becomes the producer. Hmm. So after, or at this point then on the album sleeve, the credit uh, Jimmy's credited as produced and directed by Jimmy. Oh, Hendrix. directed by a eh? 
So I know, right? Like, what does that mean? But anyway, um, well, there's a lot of weird shit on the album or for the album, like packaging, which we'll get to. And so that might've been part of the weird stuff that we'll, that we'll talk about. Uh, so also during the recording, Noel Redding also got more distant from the band. Of course he did. Uh, he was feeling, <laughs> he was feeling his creativity was being bottled up by the greatness of Jimi Hendrix. Uh. So he decided he needed to go start his own band as an outlet for all the brilliant songs he was writing and for his knockoff John Lennon shit. <laughs> um, so he started a group called Fat Mattress. Oh, my favorite band that everybody's heard of. <laughs> it's such, it's such a, such a name. Um, and so didn't really have that much time anymore for the experience. Uh, and so Jimmy ended up playing bass a lot on this album, uh, as well. Hmm. And saying some of the, like, like double tracked his own voice as backing vocals too. Cause Noel was a wall. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. So interestingly, fat mattress actually, uh, feels like a slur, but I don't even know who you'd be insulting by calling them a fat mattress. Italians. Yeah. <laughs> always it's always yeah. uh so fat mattress actually opened up for the experience on a 1968 u.s tour crazily that seems weird which just goes i feel like at every turn people get annoyed at Jimi hendrix and then it just feels like he's always actually being a nice guy about yeah. it yeah like Chaz quits because he's like being an obnoxious perfectionist but it's really kind of just feels like jimmy's like learning what he can do in the studio you yeah. know and as far as his perfectionist tendencies, quote unquote, go, I mean, nothing we've read about him doing is like even half of what guys like the Beatles would do or other bands who would get really like... Like the Stones. Yeah, and do like he does overdubs, but there's still basically three instrument songs, all of their yeah. songs. Like they're not doing crazy stuff they're doing some of that like backwards tracking and oh um, you mean as okay guitar lines and some of the like phasing shit but like it's really just it doesn't seem that crazy a a better thing i should have said i thought you were talking about attitude wise and i was like yeah the stones were big pieces of shit but as far as recording like the beach boys like yeah i mean like his brothers and cousin got sick of him a little bit but it was like everybody still finished that album in good spirits it seems yeah it's also like he's not even really it doesn't feel like it ever caused a problem yeah except for Chaz yeah because like they weren't like spending way too long in the studio like there's a lot of story like we've talked about a lot of bands spending like a crazy amount of hours in the studio mm-hmm. for different albums and like he never did I don't know it just seems a little like overkill and then same with like Noel being all pissy about him like not being able to share his music and it's like really you're in a band with fucking Jimi hendrix and you're upset a band that called you're not the Jimi hendrix experience songs. yeah yeah to put Noel reading songs on the show or on the album so hmm. yeah thomas feel free to jump in i'm just i'm waiting you for thoughts. you guys to to throw well, no, to, to go through all of the interesting biographical information this is a learning. Oh, oh, this hit is us a with learning some. experience for me. Oh, oh, you're listening. I no, no, you I'm, a, I'm appreciating the, the podcast got it, got while it. on the podcast. Oh, okay, okay. There you go. So, well, we can. You can give us your thoughts on a song here. Let's listen to Fat Mattress's biggest single. It's called Magic Forest. Um. Oh, but then you know, like Noel basically quitting the band to start his own band, and then Jimmy having them tour as their opener so that Noel can do both things at the same time. It's just like, it kind of seems like he's being a good dude. Get the bag, King. 
All right, yes. here is Fat Magic with ma er, Fat Mattress Magic Forest. Take a look around you and you see just where you Was this written for a cartoon in 1968 about like wizards? Does he got imagine if Jimmy had just let him give this song to the experience and then this could have just been a, a fucking banger, song. dude. Yeah. yeah. This sounds like the sword except 30 years before and with way less cool guitars. Right. So, Imagine Hendrix just fucking fine, ripping on this, you know? though, it, and singing yeah. it. It'd be good. It would be good. I gotta say, if yeah, Magic Forest. Uh, so maybe we're being a little harsh to Noel. Actually, and to be fair, I actually don't think this one was written by Noel. This might have been written by one of the other band members. Oh. But I mean, it's not good. No. But no, yeah. it's not. Like, um, it's very 1968. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The best, maybe the best Fat Mattress thing of all time is that the. The B-side for Magic Forest was a song called Petrol Pump Assistant. <laughs> oh, wow. That's in the running for the most British-named song in I the know. world. <laughs> yeah, is that like, where did they hear Lovely Rita and they're like, God, we got to write another, we got to write another hit song about someone who does a, a menial job in Britain. They're writing about barbers down on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What about that paperback writer? What if we did something like that? that Can we listen to a little bit of a... Uh, Petrol pump? Yeah. Hell yeah. This album cover is unreal, too. It's really shitty. Oh, that yeah. low angle in an extremely yes. English forest. Yeah. Now, the Fat Mattress 2 cover. I haven't looked that one up. Let's look it up. Wow, this is... It's like they got a band like The Birds. And then he was like, you know I was in a band with Hendrix, right? Let's make it a little tiny bit psychedelic. This is... To, like, yeah. folk is fine on its own. Like, you don't need anything else. But if you do anything folk, hyphen, rock, folk metal, which is a real thing for everybody, and it's unfortunate, it's just... It, just, it doesn't work. It does not jive I, for me. I like folk rock. I guess I get why these guys uh, only released two albums. I think. I think once you get onto a uh, uh, more hyphens, so I agree, folk metal yeah. probably not good. Folk rock, that's simple enough, I think. But like, if you're like folk psychedelic rock, it's like no, no, no. That's where you lose me. So for you, it's the yeah. third. Okay, this this might track then. Yeah, because I think if it's like folk, folk hard rock, like uh, I mean, like some of Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young was a little bit like edgier, and it's like I don't know if I like that stuff. Except for Ohio, that song fucking rules. Ohio is a banger. Yeah. It's a true banger. Too edgy for me, you know. It's like, why do you have to make it political, man? And they're talking about dead kids. What is this, the Beach Boys? <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know. I just love the idea of this like minor name in history that like yeah. literally no one would know if he wasn't Jimi Hendrix's bass player. Yeah. But just becoming so fed up with his lack of like 
chances to share his talent with the world yeah. i just hope that <laughs> that he quits the experience to start i don't know it's just ridiculous. i hope like, to god he said at some point i made those last two albums like because yeah. of my bass play you telling me you telling me exactly what notes to play when <laughs> made the experience what it was yeah. uh so Anyway, I, mean, I feel like my hot take for the day is the only important bassist are the bassists who are also vocalists, Whoa. or if they're like uh, like a Sting, the Primus you guy. You love Sting, it seems. I'm a, no, nah, Sting can get bent. Now Getty Lee, on the other hand, Ooh, we all know Rush. that Neil Peart was the driver of that band. But no, Getty he was Lee the no, really no, 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 Rush no, no, no. Con- he was the drummer. Ian Stewart's the only band member who is an who is an official driver yeah, of any. That's band. true. Well, no, that's but, not, um, Bruce Dickinson. He's a pilot. And uh, oh, okay. Um, um, did you say John Bonham? John Bonham also did he, he drive the van? Yeah. Oh, okay, nice. Whereas um, Cliff Burton was definitely not driving the van yeah. when that happened. So Jimmy kept inviting people to the studio and then also his manager quits and his bass player is not around so much. So he also invites other musicians. So for the first time we have a Jimi Hendrix album with some outside musicians outside of the three band members. Uh, So almost all of the band traffic ends up on this album, everyone except their drummer. Uh, Cause Mitch Mitchell is actually very present during this whole thing. But, um, and then they get a guy from Jefferson, one of the guys from Jefferson airplane, and Brian Jones, of all people, fellow 27 Club member, shows up on this record. Which, oh. I gotta say, I wonder how often we're gonna have two 27 Club members on the same album. That seems like it's gonna be pretty rare. This might be the only time I can think of. Well, I know that there was a little tiny... Um, I mean, we'll see. There was a, a baby version of... What the fuck is her name? Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse on uh, Nevermind. So, yeah. Oh, Okay. Interesting. Um, so now let's get to the album art. So once again, as we've been, as we've learned, Jimmy never gets the album art he wants. <laughs> and for this album, he actually had everything done correctly. So he had a photo picked out for the cover. He had the font he wanted for the cover. He sent a letter to Reprise uh, with like detailed bullet points of how he wanted everything to be laid out. He like drew little pictures of here's how I want like the photos arranged on the back and on the gatefold. He included a letter he wanted printed in the album, like a letter to his fans type of thing. Um, The manuscript was called letter of the room full of mirrors. If you weren't sure if he did drugs or not. Oh, I was wondering. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, So they basically ignored this and issued the album how they wanted, like every time. So they did that photo, the like red and yellow blurry photo of him playing live under the lights, um, who I think it's the same photographer who they used. Um, I th- God, let me actually check real quick. I think it's the same photographer who took every other photo for his album covers. Uh, where the fuck? Is really that? likes that low angle, if that's true. Yeah, yeah. Carl Ferris. I'm pretty sure did the Axis Bold is Love photo that then turned into a painting and then the fisheye photo. I'm pretty sure he did. Too. Interesting. Okay. Um, let me double check. Seems like those. this guy's got a real boner. Yep. For Jeremy the Hendrix. photo is Carl Ferris from Axis Bold is Love. And then are you experienced? I, 
I know it's kind of like they're kind of like your parents when you're young or like an aunt or something where they think you like something. So you just get that present like every year for Christmas yeah. over and over again. It's kind of like Reprise was like because Carl Ferris did the um, the photo for Are You Experienced, the cover that Jimmy wanted yeah. when Jimmy actually got to choose his own cover for the U.S. version. So it's like Reprise was like, oh. So you like that one photographer. So we'll just do his photos every time, even if it's in a style you hate. A style and you not hate what you and not what you specifically... But that's the photographer yeah. you like. What's the, what's the problem? So they do that cover photo. They did incorporate some of his ideas for the inner gatefold, but it's not really what he wanted. And then they also don't do his cool letter to the room full of mirrors. Um, do we have a copy and of then that? Of, yes, kind of. Let me send you this link that has like a scan of the letter he sent Reprise. It's really cool. Oh, wow. This is quite an in-depth, uh, yeah. Yes, S- but if you sketch. scroll down past the axis, bold as love one, there's the letter that yeah. he sent with like his little drawings. That's Yeah, that's what I'm looking at. <clears throat> that is which is really cool. a lot of tits. And then that also gives you, yes, the album cover for, so Track, the UK distributor, uh, decided to go a completely different direction, just do whatever the fuck the horny guy in the <laughs> art department wanted to do. And they released the album with this gatefold photo with 19 naked women on it, which was apparently, and some of them are holding like Jimi Hendrix album covers. Yeah. So it was apparently an outtake from a photo shoot for a magazine that he was supposed to go to, but he skipped it because he didn't want to. He thought it was a stupid idea. And so they just used the photo of just the naked ladies without him as the album cover. <laughs> so some places refused to sell, obviously, since it was 1968. Some places refused to sell it. Others wrapped it in brown paper. Some people or some stores just turned the gatefold inside out. Um, uh, hmm. Hendrix was apparently pretty mad about it, although he told Rolling Stone in an interview that he, quote, dug it anyway. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's naked ladies, so you can't be that mad, but it's not my artistic vision, you know? I think, like... The more shocking thing about that is that he turned down an opportunity to go to a photo shoot with so many naked well, women. That's, like, I know, the least right? rock star thing I don't think he needs to be put in that... Yeah. I don't think he needs to be scheduled to be around that many naked women. He's Jimi Hendrix. Huh? I think he could just... They're already in the studio. Yeah. He has 20 of exactly. them. Exactly. He's got um, one more. Yeah. I, uh... <laughs> yeah, something I read, I, it wasn't, like, in a, a quote or anything from him, but someone opined that it was like it was apparently a photo shoot set up by like the studio's pr so it was just maybe another sign of him just being really fed up with his studio yeah uh and their whole direction for his artistic you know not music but like the rest of the artistic output i i think Jimi hendrix might be the most like pure-hearted person we've talked about so far like yeah. the the worst thing he does is like he does drugs sometimes and that's like the worst thing you can say about him and that's not bad but like, yeah. everybody else is like, oh yeah, he hid his wife for six years, uh, and until she divorced yeah. him, or like, oh yeah, he was going around town fucking everybody he could. Like, but Jimi yeah. Hendrix, I mean, I'm sure he was doing that, but not in a bad way. It was a summer of love, <laughs> the next year. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he does. You know, like, yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, it's like he's making people around him mad, but not in a way that makes it seem like he was a bad person. Yeah. Just like that he was. He seems just like a maybe good frustrating dude. to be around, but more because of like some earnest, like earnest qualities rather than yeah, bad qualities. So, anyway, but the album cover that he wanted is on that link I sent you. It's it's the band hanging out on this sculpture in Central Park. Uh, it was like this Alice in Wonderland sculpture with these kids climbing on it. 
and it was a photo taken by uh, Linda Ben Eastman. Oh, soon to be McCartney. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is, I think, by far the coolest cover. I gotta say, out of the three for Electric Ladyland, I really like the photo, and then I just, I really actually just like the font on it a lot. It's kind of a cool. I mean, the psychedelicish font. I like happening. I like the tits cover. If I'm being honest, <laughs> yeah. All right, so yeah. So three for three on not getting the album cover he wants, but instead getting something else that he gets to be mad about in interviews. Yeah. But oh well. Do you think it's because guess, he do? got basically final say on all of his music? They were like, we gotta control one thing. Maybe. I mean it's possible. Like I guess to reprise and tracks credit like we have not read anything so far about him getting music sent back yeah. or getting shit cut down you know like he has on this album he has like three 15 minute jams and like none of them were cut know. or you know sh- yeah exactly or so he yeah. got to he got to do exactly the music he wanted to for sure so maybe hmm. yeah um yeah i don't know thomas you were saying to you the original or not the original but like the I guess the original, yeah, U.S. version of the Electric Ladyland cover is kind of iconic to you. Well, that's like the standard, right? I mean, again, compilation albums. It's compilation albums all the way down. Yeah, yeah. So, like, when I think of Jimi Hendrix, I think of Hendrix, close image, green background. Yeah. All that stuff. I mean, it's a great album cover for a compilation album. Yeah. But, you know, it's... Yeah. I didn't get into albums until I was, like, 20. It does. I also, except for Are You Experienced, um, I really didn't know like his actual albums until we started doing this show. And I, back in my my record crate digging days, I would run across a lot of those like from like 1970 to 1975. There were probably 500 weird Jimi Hendrix compilation albums released, and. To my eyes, the Electric Ladyland cover looks like any one of... Like, it just looks like a very generic, like, here's a live photo of Jimi Hendrix, and here's 12 songs you maybe have or haven't heard before with some studio outtakes from, like, yeah, some weird small record label in 1972. It just kind of looks like that to me. But obviously, having not having listened to the album before, it doesn't have any association for me. So. Yeah, again, uh, a bunch of naked ladies on the cover would have been much more summer love and fitting for that period of time. Yeah. Instead although, of something that yeah. looks like it was made in, like, clip art. True. I gotta say, the naked lady album cover is really true. It's really weird, though, because... So, first of all, if you see a photo of, of it folded in half, like, it just kind of looks awkward because it's, like, very much cut in the middle of the photo and, like, doesn't really... It doesn't really look like an album cover to some degree. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of loses a bit of psychedelicness just because it being, they're just on a black background. And so just a black background with then just a bunch of like flesh color, like it's not colorful or bright. And like, there's no, I don't know, like psychedelic or, and or any like font on the front. It's just kind of a weird nothing picture a little bit. Like it, it also kind of makes it, it looks like, here's what it looks like. It looks like it should be the inside gatefold for the album, not yes. the actual album cover. And so, like we talked about, places turning it inside out to sell it. But it's like, it really looks like it should be, yeah, the inside thing when you open up the gatefold of, of whatever album. So, kind of weird that way, too. 
But true. Yeah. It's it's not a good idea. It's a no. classic idea, but it's not good. Yeah. Kind of like a Ford Pinto. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, let's see. So, do we want to take a quick break and then get into the the track by track? I think that would be a great idea. All right. What song is this? There must be some kind of way out of here. And welcome back to the 27 Club. We're uh, in the middle of inducting new member Thomas. We'll get to the hazing in a little bit. Uh, But right now we're actually, we're just talking Electric Ladyland. We're going to get into the track by track in just a moment. So Electric Ladyland came out in uh, October 1968. Uh, And uh, my favorite month. Yeah, well, it's it was nice and it's a spooky time. Yeah. if you remember, is yeah. that why he's kind of orange on the cover? Because they were like pumpkins. <laughs> Make his head look like a jack o' lantern. You guys got any pictures um, of him wearing a pumpkin on his head? No, we'll just we'll just correct the color then. Carl, no, Carl, do you happen to have any pictures of the band dressed like pumpkins? Uh, so it went to the album went to number six in the UK and drum roll number one in the US his first and only number one album in the UK or the US or hmm. any I think maybe anywhere in the yeah um, and the lead single was all along the watchtower which was amazingly his only top 40 hit in the US ever at least during his life maybe posthumously yeah. something went higher huh well, posthumously, there's a really weird thing that happened in 1991. Whoa. So you guys know uh, right said Fred, I'm too sexy. Yeah, for my shirt. <laughs> so sexy it hurts. Yes, I have no idea how this of is going to connect. But... The guitar riff in that is actually bit from Hendrix's Whoa. third stone from the sun. Jeez. Huh. And right said Fred apparently didn't realize that until Hendrix's Estate. posthumous rec- Yeah sent them a letter like yo what the hell bro yeah and then yeah that's not so a, interesting a couple of weird british dudes bit a hendrix song sent it to number one on one of the worst novelty songs <laughs> of all time i yeah. i love that we talked about this that's last week fantastic. but the hendrix estate is like the most litigious yeah estate as far as music rights go like there was a uh a biopic they made of Hendrix and it was easier to get rights to Beatles songs than it was Hendrix songs. So they didn't get any Hendrix songs for this Beatle or for this, uh, Hendrix biopic. Yeah. That's, that's wild considering how many times I've heard all along the watchtower in a Vietnam war movie. It's because it's Dylan a cover. So they get to yeah. like, so they can, um, what am I trying to, so they can get the rights to that cover way easier yeah. than his original compositions. Yeah. 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 That's why that's the one you hear all the time. Yeah. Speaking of, I've been meaning to bring this up for a while. Yes. And uh, it's important. And you know what? It could maybe it could be argued that it's on a different thing. But all along the Watchtower came up. So 
or it could be argued we could we should talk about it later but i'm playing this game right now uh called mafia 3 which is set in 19s i don't know if you all are familiar with the mafia games but thomas appears to be it's set in 1968 you basically you play this dude who comes home from vietnam and like is part of the like african-american mob or like underworld kind of in um new orleans and like you come back from vietnam you get you know you do one more one last job or whatever and then you all get betrayed by like the other mob in town Hmm. so then it's like him taking revenge on you know them for killing his friends but the soundtrack is all a bunch of you know 1965 six seven eight music and apparently this is like an interesting look into i think music licensing because this game clearly had a good amount of money to license but they did not have an unlimited (laughs) budget for licensing so here's do you want to guess like the band they absolutely got the most music from yeah credence clearwater revival apparently is very easy to license because it is it might be their entire greatest hits is on like the in-game radio station it's so much fucking so it's because uh they fucked over ccr on their uh contract so bad so no members of ccr own the music it's still Mm. universal or whatever who owns it um so much so that when john fogarty came out with a um solo album there was a song that they sued him over because it sounded too much like ccr that's yeah. incredible and they won nice. i think yeah yeah that's that tracks <laughs> yeah. well there's also credence clearwater revisited which is basically credence clearwater revival covering credence clearwater oh. or credence clearwater revival members covering ccr yeah. songs yeah. for a new ccr yeah. So weird. It's, yeah. Um, Music licensing is so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, but there's also weirdly a large amount of stone songs and like some weird stone songs. So it's like the, like Jumpin' Jack Flash and Sympathy for the Devil, the big 1968 hits. Yeah, which. And then they also they, have a bunch of stuff off Aftermath, weirdly. Huh. Well, they don't. Uh, like they have Mother's Little Helper. They don't own any of that stuff on, like, though, right? That's the stuff that they got screwed out of. Oh, yeah, that's of. true. Pre-1969. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I think it's whatever company but made just weird, that. weird licensing. Yeah. But the song that's like the main song that they like keep playing over and over again in the game is All Along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix. So uh-huh. that is confirmed to be a very easy one to get, apparently. Hmm. Yeah. So pretty, pretty fun stuff. So let's get into the track by let's track. get into that track by uh, track. So disc one, track one. And the gods made love. Leading off with our first of many ellipses in song titles on this album. They're all about punctuation, the experience. Hendrix loved the dots. Dot, dot, dot. Psychedelic. Yes, it's super psychedelic to put in the dots. (laughs) The ellipse, you know, he's just mimicking. I feel like I'm having acid flashbacks just looking at these ellipses. I gotta say, as far as instrumental intros go, this is. No. I turned it on and I was like, oh, he did do kind of the me. same thing again, but not as well. Yeah, because the EXP one was was pretty cool and at least had the fun, like, interview thing. Like, this is just kind of some noise. Yeah. I don't know. And it goes on for, like, what seems to be, like, a minute and a half. Yeah. Not surprised. Cosmic radiation or whatever. <laughs> 
Yeah, probably. I mean, I guess maybe it's cool because it was like cool studio stuff that no one had done before, but... Were drugs just better in the 60s? I think they were worse, but they did a lot more of them. I think, yeah, I think they were worse. People did more, and also it was like no one had ever really done them before. Well, and Jimi Hendrix you know could afford I mean? to so it was all be just on like acid 24-7 because he was just making psychedelic yeah. music. Where it's like, you know, yeah. if you work at a warehouse, that's not really an appropriate thing to do. Uh, let's see. So Jimmy, this is one of the many ones where Jimmy plays bass, and he also is singing his own backup vocals on this song. This is Have You Ever Been to Electric Ladyland? Yes, thank you. Also, just like the last album, we have a bunch of weird random differences between the UK and US editions. Uh-huh. On the UK edition, they don't say to Electric Ladyland, they just say Electric Ladyland. Um, have you been Electric Ladyland? Yeah. It's like, as a, as a ground state of being? Thomas, take it up with track records, man. <laughs> They'll do it several more times. There's a lot of weird... I just like got that. it. It's called Track Records. That's funny. I'm being genuine. I did um, not get that before. I really like this song. It's, it's a very weird yeah. song as the opening track. It kind of feels like it should be like one of the closing songs on a side of the album, but it's really cool. I, like very like kind of 70s Sly Stone kind of soul oh, it's stuff. Good. Him singing his own backup is like primo. Um yeah. I was going to say, I wish this, like, they just got rid of that first one, and then this was the opener. This was just the opening? Yeah. yeah. And it, the bass is really good, too. I didn't know that was Hendrix playing it, but it's, I mean, obviously good, because yeah. it's Hendrix. Yeah. Did he play the bass left-handed, too? Like, weird? Did he just have, like, a right-handed bass, and then he just flipped it? He, he played it right-handed so that it felt like someone else was doing yeah. it. Yeah. He could also sit on his hand for a little bit. <laughs> the old stranger, huh? Yeah, exactly. The stranger base. Yes. <laughs> so he could pretend Noel was still in the studio. They had the same hair, so it kind of made sense. The next song, Crosstown Traffic. Again, the UK edition, Cross Space Town. I feel like this one you hear every so often, like... Yeah, this, I wrote in my notes for this song, this, I think, this is my favorite, I think, like, hit of his outside of Little Wing. Um, and I think it's because with both of those, they're both great songs, but they're both probably the least played of, like, his greatest hits. Yeah. That and, like, Castles Made of Sand is up there. So, like, they're just not insanely overplayed to my ears, which helps. You're just like Plus, it... It just slaps. This song oh, slaps. It's good. There's no other way to it's, put it. Well, it's it's because it's short. It's two minutes and twenty seconds. Yeah. It's got that really recognizable riff. Mm-hmm. And he's also not doing anything that's like out of the ordinary. This is just in the groove the entire yeah. time. Here, yeah. here's my thing about Hendrix. I think it doesn't make sense to play his songs on the radio because, like. I don't really want to listen to Hendrix if it's just one song and I'm like, just like on my daily drive, you know? I want to hear a Hendrix yeah. album and I want to be like actively listening to it. Well, PJ, you can. It's, you can get like this cord that goes from your car speaker into like your phone 
and then you can play whatever you Peter, want. Peter, my commute's not that car. long. Oh, okay. That's true. You need a 40-minute commute, yeah. or an 80 for this yeah. album. Come on. No. Uh, so on this song, by the way, so Dave Mason of Traffic shows up uh, playing 12-string guitar, and then the do-do-do-do-do thing is Jimmy playing a handmade kazoo made out of a comb and tissue paper. Nice. Yeah. That, That's how they used to... I really thought rocks. it was him doing talk box, yeah. but no. Apparently. That's how they used to make kazoo, kazoos before actual kazoos were a thing. There you yeah. go. Um... Yeah, and then one more thing about this song. The I listened very carefully to the lyrics because I was trying to figure out what it's about, and I'm still not positive, but it's definitely the most demeaning Jimi Hendrix song we've heard so far, which is obnoxious. It's about crosstown traffic, I think. Yeah, it's about, from what I gathered, the metaphor is that like he's seen this lady, and she's seen so many other men at the same time that it feels like he's having to like drive through a traffic jam in order to see her because there's so many other guys lining up to see her. But there's a few lines in the verses that are like kind of unnecessarily just demeaning to a lady who's wanting to sleep with other guys. So, oh well. I always thought it was about him picking up like a prostitute. Maybe that too. I, that would make a little more sense. But anyway, Voodoo Child is playing. Voodoo, PJ Voodoo Child. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Is um, it Steve Winwood on this one? Yes. Yeah. So Steve Winwood, also of Traffic, plays the Hammond organ. Jack Cassidy is playing bass. Mitch Mitchell's on drums, and Jimmy's on the git fiddle. Yeah. You can tell so, that's Mitch. Yeah. So this song, uh, Jack Cassidy of Jefferson Airplane, by the way. This song, he would play live uh, as part of, like, apparently live the experience would do kind of a medley of like blues old blues songs that they would play together and then just like jam over so this is the part of that jam that was based off muddy waters rolling stone Hmm. but then obviously heavily adapted to be this song so one night after jamming at a club in new york city jimmy invited about 20 musicians and friends and everyone back to the studio uh, to to play. Um, apparently it was a big enough crowd, Noel got pissed and left. <laughs> so they had to get a different bass player. So they got Jack Cassidy in there. So they got everyone out there, started jamming, and they did this in three takes. Huh. Yeah. This, and a lot of, this reminds me a lot of, like, Parliament. Yeah. In some ways. And, like, Funkadelic. Yeah, it's so it's definitely like in that yeah. line of like, mm-hmm. but like black blues to black funk to black psychedelic. Like this is yeah. very much right in that line, which yeah. is super cool. It's also one of those things a little bit where I feel like on first listen, you're like, oh, he's doing a blues jam like literally every other band in 1968. Like every yeah. white dude blues band did like a 12 minute blues jam but he makes it feel very necessary yeah. just because, yeah, he, he brings more influences into it. I think you're right, Thomas. And then also he's just such an incredible player yeah. that it makes it into much more than the, greater than the sum of its, its parts.
Um, so one interesting thing about this song is that the engineer, Eddie Kramer, had said in an interview that he's like, these jams probably all sound really spontaneous, but he said, he's like, Jimmy had everything planned out in his head, and he was just like, he brought these guys back because he was like, these guys can make this happen, and was like telling them what to play and yeah. shit, so, yeah. Huh. Very interesting. Uh, in some ways, I could see this being played, like, if you put Junior Kimbrough and Jimi Hendrix on on stage together in like some Mississippi Delta Roadhouse, this would not sound out of place yeah. at all. Oh yeah. Which again is fascinating just because Jimi Hendrix is not part of that whole He's not part of that area. Like you don't think yeah. of Muddy Waters and Jimi no. Hendrix in the same like you don't two hand those guys a lot of the time. And this is really only the second like straight blues song he's done so far. And the first one was just on the UK Are You Experienced, yeah. the Little Red House or whatever. Right. Like, he really doesn't do straight blues that often. Um, mm -hmm. Even though apparently live he did a little bit more, like I said, but on, on tape he stuck to more like straight up rock. Yeah. Um, I think this music sounds like sin. But uh, on to the next song, Little Miss Strange. Well, PJ, I wanted to ask you yeah. what you thought of that, because I feel like, famously, you're not a huge fan of jams, generally. So I was curious what you thought of Voodoo I mean, Child. And we can definitely it... talk over Little Miss yeah. Strange. Obviously, Voodoo Child's amazing. Um, okay. And yeah, it, it, I, I agree. It's not that I'm not a big fan of jams. Like, it's that I'm not a big fan of the Beach Boys Bad jamming <laughs> or the Rolling Stones yeah. jamming. Um, okay, gotcha. Do you hate but, fish? I fucking hate fish. They're the worst goddamn band of all time. But I do like that's the Grateful a, Dead. That's a good take. That, yeah. That's yeah. that's a very good take. That's yeah. a based take, BJ. Thank <laughs> you. I like to consider myself based AF. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. Brilliant. But brilliant. But no, I I like the Grateful Dead. I don't like a lot of their super jammy stuff though. But you know, some of it's yeah. really good. And fish can, honestly, go to hell. So Little Miss Strange is a Noel Redding composition. Weirdly, Mitch Mitchell is singing it. I don't really know why. Um, right. But and yeah, whatever. my opinion on Little Miss Strange is the same as last time, where it's like yeah. if the Beatles were called uh, the Paul McCartney Experience and Ringo was singing a song, I'd be like, fuck that. Um, <laughs> and then when he had yeah. Paul McCartney and Wings, he did a lot of the singing. All of it, in yeah. fact. Uh, like 97%. Okay, yeah. but did they let him sing lead? Or He sang lead on all yeah. of them. Yeah, Denny, um, Denny Lane and um, what was that guy's name? Jimmy McCullough? Yeah. Like, there there were some other people who sang lead, but like on maybe five songs in the whole discography. That's too many so. if you ask me. Don't let anybody <laughs> but Hendrix sing on a Jimi Hendrix yeah. Experience album. And yes. to be fair... Little Miss Strange... Here's here's my problem with it. I I don't really have a problem with other people submitting songs. I'm not into it. It's just very generic 60s rock and it there's nothing well, special happening. And that's what I mean. Like if you're making a Hendrix album, why are you letting people submit songs that do not sound like a Hendrix song? I don't know. I mean, I think there's other songs on here that don't quote sound like a Hendrix song, but they work. So, but this one doesn't. That's what no. I'm saying. Like, right. hit, the, hit the skip. But I'm saying I think it's the song. It's not... Like, if Jimmy was singing this song, I still don't think it would be that great. No, 
no, and I I agree. I'm saying I don't want anybody singing as well as I don't think anybody else should get an entire song of theirs on the album. I guess is what I'm trying to like get yeah. at. All right. Yes. Let's get to Long Hot Summer Night. Another where Jimmy's playing bass and singing his own backing vocals. Who knew Jimmy Hendrix could play bass? It's so different. I don't know. Only four instead of six strings. <laughs> His backing vocals yeah. are so good every time on this album. They're so much better than Noel and Mitch doing the backing vocals. Yeah. When I listened to this album, I kept thinking, who does he have doing These are great. And then when I did the research on it, like before we started the episode, it was, oh, it's it's him. Holy shit. I will say also the songs he's been playing bass on, the bass is better. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is a really fun song. I love, it's like kind of, it's not really a story song, but it's kind of a story song-ish. Like, and he's like talk singing through the verses and... I don't know. Nothing's like super stands out to me for this song, but I just really enjoy listening the talk to it every singing, time it comes up. The talk singing is interesting because he does that on Crosstown Traffic as well, where it's not yeah. sung really. It's almost like proto-rapped. Yeah. I kind of feel like it feels more like it feels very Dylan-y to me every time he does the talk singing thing. And even on a song like this, where it's a little bit of like him like setting a scene and telling about a day in the life kind of thing it feels like he's trying to do kind of a bob dylan thing and it works for me i mean I like yeah it. i think he's one of the few people who can try to do a dylan thing and it works yeah but then like true him and then whoever wrote the lyrics to uh those two beach boys songs god what was that guy's name he's really famous outside of the beach boys too jack something Kerouac. yeah yeah um, but the Rolling Stones, the one Rolling Stones Dylan song is solid, but the lyrics were definitely the weak point. Right, and that's what, it, like, Hendrix nails it. Like, yeah. And the guitar is really good. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. The guitar is the, the elevator. This is why people like Like, there's not a song where he does a bad job, you know that, what I mean? Like, every single song. Right, and that's what yeah. Thomas and I were talking about in the break. It's like, it feels silly to be like, oh, and the guitar on this one's great, but like... Yeah. Of course, like of course it is, but also, I as I guess music reviewers, quote unquote, it's our job to be like, yeah, this fucking rips. Yeah. Um, True. Come on, Let's parentheses. To, yeah. come let on. the good times roll. End parentheses. Yeah. So apparently, on the original album, it was "Come On" parentheses part one, which is the original name of the song by Earl King. Yeah. The UK edition though just called it "Come On." Interesting. Um. So this is a yeah a cover, an old R&B cover Jimmy used to play back in Seattle a lot. And it's probably one of the weaker ones on the album, but it's still fun. Like, it's just a good ripping yeah. blues song. I mean, it makes you make a stank face when that guitar yeah. chunks along. Yeah. He just did things with the guitar tone that you never would have expected. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, he can he can take a standard and make it really good. Like, right. Very much unlike the Stones, where it's like every standard they <laughs> did, I was like, yeah, okay, this is just worse, yeah. you know. <laughs> Imagine Jimmy singing under the boardwalk. <laughs> Oh, so good, oh, dude. I mean, straight up, what the fuck? Uh, I mean, yeah, honestly, right? yeah. Well, and the fact that he could probably, like, if he wanted to play this live, he would hit all of those notes exactly the same. It's not like a like a fish or a or a grateful dead where it's like they're playing a different thing every time like if he wanted to he could play that solo note for note again yeah musical genius yes yeah. oh dude oh, that's good all right let's get to gypsy eyes are we gonna have to bleep that out every time we say it I think it depends. I don't know. We don't have to leave this in, but I did Google that because I've heard like Gypsy's supposed to be bad, but yeah. I've never really understood like the where that people. specific thing came yeah. from. Right. But like the thing I looked up was basically like it's it's not necessarily always offensive. So I think if you're referring to somebody as that, probably not great, but yeah, descriptive. I what I don't know. I mean, his next album is called Band of Gypsies. But, like, that's what I'm saying is that, like, he, you know, it. I think it depends on the context. So. Yep. Um, on the UK album, this was spelled G-I-P-S-Y. That's so, so. weird. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy's playing the bass again. Uh, this song's very good. Yeah. Like... It's kind of wild and all over the place. Like, it doesn't really have, like, a main... I guess the... You know, Gypsy, yes. Like, that part's kind of the main riff, but... But that bass is amazing. Yeah. But is this a stomp or a shuffle? <laughs> I think it's a stomple. A shuffle? Kind of in between. Yeah. That's kind of the thing, like, and then, like, the riffs are all, like, a little bit, it doesn't feel like it has, like, a, a, like, a thing they go back to really in it, but it still rocks. I guess what I'm trying to say, this was, like, this one doesn't really get stuck in my head just because it doesn't have a hooky part to it, but it's always very good when I, when I hear it. But that's what makes a Hendrix song different from every other cookie-cutter white guy blues rock band from like 1965 through 1990 yeah yeah oh good you left out johnny lang thank god it's a good song yeah it is a good song I like when he does the vocal where it's like doing the same thing as the guitar. It sounds yeah. so cool when he does it. Yeah. Uh, 
let's get to the last song on the first disc, Burning of the Midnight Lamp, which we have heard before on the show. It's true. Hendrix himself uh, So again, playing. this is, yeah, Jimmy playing harpsichord on here. Very interesting. I mean, like I just talked, like this is one that's very much not a Jimi Hendrix type song. No. Uh, but I do think works. It's it's very weird, but it works. I mean, honestly, I'm fine with it as long as Noel Redding didn't write it. Yeah, that just feels like it's an unnecessary kind of bias now, PJ. Well, sometimes you gotta have better be a hater. I gotta say, it sounds a little bit more like a Noel Redding song than a Jimi Hendrix song. So. You know, I'm just I don't really like Noel's work in the experience. I'm more of a Fat Mattress fan. Gotcha. Yeah, you like him solo. Um, yeah, this one's weird. Like, there's not really any, like, guitar fireworks. It's more just, like, this weird, very of-its-time psychedelic song. Yeah. Like, it sounds like fucking Procol Harum or something more than Jimi Hendrix. So it's good pull. And, uh, I would say, thanks. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like I might put this up as the most unique is not grammatically correct, but you know what I mean. Most unique song in his catalog. I think it's definitely the most different sounding yeah. compared to the rest of his songs. Well, because there's not a jam on it at all. Like, not even a little bit. Yeah, like, it's... Yeah, I don't know. So it's like... It's a. Re- it's weird. I, it's a replacement-level song, though, right? Like, I don't know. This is an I feel like every man. time I hear it, I go back and forth on... <laughs> that's a good pull. We're talking good pulls. Uh, I go back and forth on... Like, sometimes I think it's incredible, and then sometimes I kind of shrug. I don't so know. it might be an Andre Miller, then. Sure. Yeah. It's more like a Jeff Green, where like sometimes Ooh. you're so happy he's there, like he saves the game for you, and then sometimes he loses the game for you, and there's nothing you can do about it. True. It's just whether he shows up to play or not, or whether his little monkey heart gives out. I think it's like late era Larry Isn't Bird. Isn't he the one who had a heart attack? Am I wrong? Not a heart attack. Didn't he have some heart surgery and then came back? You're gonna have to edit that one out, PJ. That was that was a, that was a terrible take from Peter. Goddamn, he's making fun of a guy for having a bad heart. Yeah, I tend to leave. That's gonna get him canceled. Uh, I tend to leave that kind of stuff in. I'm trying to see what we can do to get Pete canceled. All right, next song. <laughs> PJ, what do you? How do you feel about Long Hot Summer Night? Or I mean, Burning to the Pinnacle. Well, like I said, I don't think either of you heard. It. I think it's like a late era Larry Bird. Um, you know, it okay. comes in clutch when it needs to. No, I don't know. I think it's fine. Okay. I think I think we talked about it before. It is very okay. not Hendrixy. Um, Where the fuck I, did the brass come in? Is this Rainy Day Dream Away? Oh, we got saxophone. Yeah, Rainy Day Dream Away, uh, beginning of the A-side. I think... C-side. Oh, sorry. Um, That's right. You're right. Um, I think they could have not put it on the album and just had it as a single, and that would have been fine. Because it doesn't really, like... It doesn't not work on the album, but I think it would be slightly more cohesive of an album had they not put it on there, I guess. I can dig so yeah, this is Rainy Day Dream Away. Uh, our first, our non-Mitch Mitchell song, Buddy Miles, shows up to play the drums here. And on the, the Rainy Day Dream Away Part 2. Um, yeah, and some saxophone by Freddie Smith. Yes, is the saxophone player. This is awesome. I love the like very stoned out vocal take yeah. at the beginning. I like the like laid back jammy quality of it. Who's playing the organ? It's really fun. 
Mike Finnegan? Oh. It's just a studio guy. I don't know. See, I like when he does like the kind of jazzy stuff. It's yeah, impeccable. It's very cool. And uh, in a little bit, we get to a very special moment in the song. <laughs> Eventually, yeah. Yeah, this this song really rules, and we'll get to it in a sec. But the like part two of this song is maybe the high point of the album for me personally. But we'll get there. You know, and I think. Th- I mean, Hendrix is great because I think, I don't know, surface level, you don't really like hear his influences per se. You're just like, oh, that's just a Hendrix song. But then like when you get into it, it's like, oh, this is a really great like 12 bar blues that, but it's Hendrix doing it. So it's like different mm-hmm. or like this is a very jazz, you know, influenced song. And yeah. I don't think a lot of people like necessarily think about it like that. They just think of it as like a Hendrix jam, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good way of putting it. Thomas quit the podcast. Yeah. Well, he got so sick of us talking about jizz music. <sighs> and I've heard that Thomas is maybe one of the biggest fans of jizz music. Maybe he just doesn't think we're uh, we're giving it the respect. It's good enough to talk about jizz music. All right. God, that organ's great. It's- oh, we have to get to the talk. Oh, box. I'm sorry. At the very end. Sorry. That's that was the very special moment. I was... Oh, hello! Oh, hello! Talkbox Jimmy shows up. It's I gotta say, man, I don't. I think I could count on like less than five fingers the amount of times off the top of my head that I can think of Talkbox guitar showing up in a song. But I might love Talkbox guitar, at least when Jimi Hendrix does it. I am a huge fan. Um, like uh, another guest of the podcast mentioned earlier, Peter Frampton is big into Talkbox. Yeah. And it's good, dude. I love Talkbox. Yeah. Uh, so this is 1983, ellipses, parentheses, a merman. A merman I should turn to be. In parentheses. Yes. Uh, so Jimmy's playing bass again. Chris Wood of Traffic uh, is playing the flute when we get there fucking of course this song is so so weird guys <laughs> 50 years before future yeah it's also 14 minutes long yeah this is when you can tell that they were just on a lot of drugs uh, again not necessarily good ones but a lot yeah this is proof of the quantity over quality measure See, now people take drugs and then they just die of a fentanyl overdose. This is, you know, efficiency isn't what you should strive for in your drug use. So I gotta say, I really, I think I really like this. It gets a little bit too slow in the middle jammy section, but like I really like the lyrics and the melody of this first part, and then the jam is off and on good I would say the, the song just like it got really tedious to me and it's very like yeah. aware of itself kind of I don't know it's like <laughs> yeah. this is maybe my low point on the album Interesting. not the lowest point because that was the Noel Redding song yeah, but yeah. um like some of it's good like this part's good yeah. but then it's 14 minutes long yeah you want to skip to like 7 minutes in let's kind of skip around a little bit and get 
See, and this is the kind of psychedelic music I don't love when it's like this. And I yeah. think I think I talked about this one of the last times. I don't love psychedelic music, but when Hendrix is doing it, the guitar is just so yeah. good you have to love it. But you know, yeah. there's not guitar on a lot of this song, you know. There is fuck, I should have written down here one sec. So if we go to about like nine and a half minutes, there is a bass solo by Jimmy that's probably at least worth hearing. It's pretty long, but like he just starts jamming around on the bass. <laughs> the flute in there. Yeah. God, back, let's bring back rock bands with flute players. <laughs> Yeah. How cool is that? God, show? Jethro Tull. Jethro Tull. Jethro Tull, Traffic, the rest. I mean, who wouldn't think of the guy who invented the seed drill as a major influence on folk rock in the 1970s? I've always thought that. Um, I can imagine if I was, like, really stoned, I'd love this song. I've never been stoned, but, like, if I was, I bet I'd love this. I mean, I think the bass solo is pretty cool. Just that was like three glasses. You rarely hear bass solos, and you know, just three. I don't know. It's cool. See, I like when the drums come back in. Uh, Can we skip to the next song? There's a flute. There's a flute. (laughs) Moon, turn the tides. Ellipses, (laughs) gently, gently away. There's a lot of punctuation on this album, (laughs) but no commas. So this is kind of just a weird interstitial song, right? Yeah, it's about a minute long. Um, and then we get to Still Raining, Still Dreaming. Honestly, if the album opened with this. Okay, so this is just, I think what they did is, I think just Rainy Day Dream Away was like 10 minutes long and they chopped it in half, right? Because this picks up literally right where Rainy Day Dream Away ends, when the talk box kicks in. Huh, that's a good like, point. Like, that opening guitar line is the ending guitar line from Rainy Day Dream Away. Why is there a 15-minute um, break between those two songs? I, okay, I think it's kind of cool and brilliant, actually. So, like, so this, if they had left it whole, would have been the third, like, 10-minute-plus jam song on the album. Which is a lot. Like, if you look at an album and there's three different songs that are ten... Even on a double album, that's a lot. Yeah. So I kind of think it's cool that they just... That they decided to sandwich a jam with another jam broken up. It's... I don't... I've never heard of it before or seen it on any other album. But I think it works. Especially because the Merman song is very slow and kind of more meandering. And so having a more focused jam on either side works it it, i would say it kept me engaged on this side of the album for sure because even if merman gets a little draggy then you kick back into this and it fucking rules so i think this song is is really excellent especially when it gets into the actual jam Oh. 
Like, the only other time I can think of where a jam has been broken up into two parts is on Eat a Peach, and that was purely because the jam was too long to fit on one side of an album. Which, I mean, I guess that is another jammy band that I love. I mean, who doesn't fucking love the Allman Brothers? Yeah, so this song's really, I think, really fantastic. Um, We can get to House Burning Down. So cool. What's weird is that on the LP version, Still Raining, Still Dreaming was on, was the first song on side four, so it did not really sandwich that jam. Yeah. I kind of think it works better having those songs all next to each other. <laughs> uh, so this one also Jimmy's playing bass on. This kind of reminds me of a Are You Experienced song. Yeah. This sounds a little like early Jimmy, but... It's really great. It's really good. He likes houses and he likes fire. Yes, sir. Right. I've heard that. I think, you know, guys, I, I kept listening to the song and I was like, these lyrics might be a metaphor for something. Like in the late 60s, the idea, like whose house could be burning? Like what could that be a metaphor for? I don't, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I was like, this might be, hmm. I like the verses too. Yeah. Where is that black smoke coming from? I like the little drum like roll. And then that's cool. Yeah, the drumming is a lot more like are you experienced? Like very like a little bit looser. Yeah. Yeah. But still phenomenal, you know. I love when he does vocals like that too, where he's like Doing a little, like one step above top, talk singing. Yeah. Yeah, this song is is very fun, just kind of straight ahead rock, which is nice after all the jams to kind of get back to a basic. Yeah. Those little guitar squalls. Right. Yes. And then the pyrotechnics. That's right. Um, I want to get to the next song. Yeah. The song. Yes, the song. Um, Jimmy plays bass again. Uh, Dave Mason shows up again playing that 12-string guitar. And then Brian Jones plays percussion, is credited with playing percussion on this song. Huh. Which I never knew. I didn't know that. I feel that, like yeah. I'm surprised I never heard that. Nobody of it is worth. 
He's playing a tambourine I mean, right now. Yeah, let me... I think Mitch Mitchell's just credited with the tambourine. Really? I would have guessed that that would be a... a BJ. You can definitely tell this is a Bob Dylan crafted track, though, because of how the perspectives yeah. in the song zoom all over the place. Oh, I mean, it is one of the greatest, you know, lyrics of all time, like, this, the whole song. So many. Yeah. Oh, but, like, the weird medieval setting. Yeah. Debtor's prison. Wine. Uh, I don't have a credit for the tambourine, so it could be Brian Jones. I'm thinking that's good old BJ. Yeah, this is one of those... Uh, we talked about this a lot with the Stones, and a little bit with Hendrix, but this is one of those songs where I've heard so much, I feel like I can't... Like, it's it's great, but I just... I can't have any other opinion than, yeah, but I've heard it a lot. <laughs> like, um, it's probably... Like, I think it's considered the best cover song ever, right? That's kind of like the general consensus on this one. I quite like uh, that fucking song. The David Bowie cover of "Let's Spend the Night Together." God, this solo is so fucking. I quite like "Act Naturally" by the Beatles. Okay, please, Mister Postman. <laughs> I mean, just in terms of like, if if the cri- like the criteria for a cover song being like keeping like the spirit of the original, yeah. but imbuing it with the your own other yeah. artists, yeah, th- like it's it's at least in the yeah, oh for conversation sure. I'm gonna go the back ever. a second because this is like that that part right there. Boom yeah. boom. Wow. Maybe the greatest chord changes in all of music. Yes. Yeah. Also, this can be out of left field, but in terms really of incredible. covers that do exactly what you two just said, Gulch has a cover of Susie and the Banshees' Sin in My Heart, which is a 1984 Ooh. like British punk song covered by in 2020 by a San Jose hardcore band that goes off. Nice. I got an email. Oh, PJ. God damn it. Was it from Gulch saying, hey, thanks for the, thanks for the shout out, guys? Yeah, it was pretty instant. It was nice. crazy. It is really interesting. First of all, this was their single, yeah. and it was the second to last song on the album. Yeah. But just interesting placement for this song. But I think it really works. Especially because of what it goes into. Yeah, yeah. That's why I've not skipped because I want to. Same with Axis Bold as Love, but Jimmy has a way of like making his the end of his albums feel really like climactic. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this and Axis Bold as Love both crush in terms of end of the album. They do not peter out into like some B side shit at the end at all. I mean, this song just name drop yourself. Yes, yes, he did. Atmosphere, I think, is what you're what you're going for, Peter. Yeah, thanks, Thomas. You're welcome. So now we get into Voodoo Child, parentheses, slight return, which is very funny. 
to call it that today. in case you didn't get enough wah guitar yet which i didn't <laughs> Maybe the greatest guitar work of all time. Jesus Christ, it's so Holy good. shit, man, when it drops in. So, like, we've talked a lot about him kind of doing some proto headbang, like, hard rock stuff. And, like, I, I don't know. I guess I just never thought about it with Jimi Hendrix before. But he's just straight up writing, like, better heavy metal than Black Sabbath. Oh, yeah. Way before Black Sabbath. It's crazy. Like, Black Sabbath would... They would sell their souls to the devil if they could have written this song and put it on, like, volume four yeah. or something. This song rules. Such fucking cool nonsense, lyric too. like so, superhero yeah. lyrics. It's so badass. Oh god, it's fucking bangs, dude. It's so good. And also, if you're talking about a through line between Jimmy and like 30s blues musicians, aside from the like obvious electric guitar-ness of this song, it does feel very much like it could be like a 30s blues song. Like Lil Robert Dusty? Yeah, exactly. So this song, interestingly, written uh, the day after recording Voodoo Child, uh, Jim, Mitch, and Noel are in the studio, and a TV crew comes by to film them for like a TV special, and so they tell them to just make it look like they're recording. So Jimmy's like, well, let's just jam... So he teaches them the chord changes for Voodoo Child, and then this is what they come up with during that session. So not planned to be on the album at all, not written at all. They just jam it out. It's like a, it's a cover. It's like he covered himself. Yeah, exactly. It's so good, dude. And also just weird, like, um kind of through line with the rest of the album where he keeps doing these long jams and then with rainy day already like cut it into two sections and so to like kind of by happenstance come up with another like two section jam it's very interesting i don't know to me it's interesting to me And he does that like also when I was he does do okay. that Robert Johnson thing where he's like doing a bass line on guitar and then also like yeah a solo yeah. Uh, what was interesting about this song when I was reading about it is everything I read said it was like one of his most famous songs and I mean I know yeah. I hadn't listened to him a lot but I'd definitely never heard this song before. Really? But, yeah. Yeah. This one got big again because I think once again Stevie Ray Vaughan covered this one mm-hmm. as well as. Uh, Little, little wing. wing, yeah. Chicken wing. Um. Yeah, I mean it rules, and it's a great uh, last song for the album. It is. Oh, truly. So. PJ, Peter, what are your, what are your thoughts on Electric Ladyland? I mean, honestly, a phenomenal, phenomenal series of songs. Do I think it's a great album? Maybe not. Um, like, obviously, the music is good, right? Yeah. Its cohesiveness as an album isn't bad, but it is not 
as as cohesive as the last two albums. Um, yeah. Like, truly, I mean, obviously the music is really fucking good. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're, like, two different 13 to 15-minute jams in the middle of it. It gets a little bit, you know, like, if you have to sit down and listen to this album, it gets a little bit like, all right, come on, we get it. Um, like, but, you know, there's there's not a, a bad note in the entire song except for that, you know, Noel Rett writing song but um yeah phenomenal collection of music yeah. what about you beat yeah um i was kind of just taken with listening to this album which i had not heard a single song off of outside of crosstown traffic and uh all along the watchtower i was just very taken with the it was just so much fun to listen to and like such fun kind of either interesting music or like really great kind of hard rock music. Yeah. It made me realize I'm like, I don't think we've covered a group yet. I mean, we've obviously only done two and then little Robert dusty, yeah. but we, we haven't actually talked about a musician who's just like straight up a badass yeah. and like makes badass music. Yeah. Because, like, the Stones, I feel like, kind of have that reputation, but when we talked about them during their, like, cool, dark period in, like, the late 60s, early 70s, they were kind of cool and badass, but then they were also, like... The worst human beings. Very scared at Altamont. <laughs> yeah. Like, legitimately, like, begging people to stop and, like, running for the helicopter. That's just all and cool shit like out. that. You know, just, like, yeah. not... And, I mean, that's... Whatever, like anyone would have probably been freaked out in that situation. But all I'm trying to say, they like, they didn't seem like they were actually that, that much of badasses to me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> At the end of the day, they were more just like these British art kids who kind of fell into like this idea of, you know, being the dark edgy band. Yeah. Um, and so Jimmy or this album just feels like no holds barred, like badass rock music. Yeah. Even when it's like, funky or jazzy or slow soul stuff it just still is like i don't know it's just a completely different kind of musical experience than we've done so far because we both haven't done the only stuff we've done that's like that art auteuristic is brian wilson who's never gonna be like a badass yeah. <laughs> in terms of his songwriting and then you know the other like kind of badass hard not even hard rock stuff, but that we've done is the Rolling Stones, which is also very different. So I was very taken with all that, but as an album, I talked a bit about this for Axis, but where like the slower songs on that, it kind of felt like you could listen through them and they didn't trip you up at all. That's except little miss strange is definitely a low light or yeah, a low light. I would say on this. Oh, album. for but sure. The rest of the songs that are even like not great, I feel like work in the album and I, I didn't find myself ever wanting to skip anything. Um, even the merman song, which I kind of liked, <laughs> which was cool. Like, I think as an album, I actually think it works really well. I disagree with you there, but okay. Thomas, your, your thoughts on electric Ladyland. You probably have more than either. I don't know. PJ, had you heard this album a lot before? I think I've probably listened through it one time ever in my entire yeah. life. Okay. Yeah. 
I was going to say, I think, Thomas, you might have the most experience with this actual album out of all of us. I, I feel like the thing with this album is that there's more... Like, half these songs I'd want to skip. Simply because I'd want to get to the true bangers on the album. Which I know is a bad way yeah. to listen to an album. I, I accept <laughs> that. But the thing is, when you have Crosstown Traffic, when you have something like Gypsy Eyes, which is an underrated banger... And then when you have those last three songs that just turn it up, turn it up to 11, it's hard yeah. to go through the rest of the album where it does kind of bog down and get baggy. Like 1983, <laughs> ellipsis, parenthesis, a merman I should turn to be, end parenthesis. Like, you don't yeah. need that on this album. If you cut that yeah. song, if, if there's just a lot of things on here where it seems extraneous. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, because it's Hendrix, it's like you have to listen to it because there are in every single one of those songs that you want to cut a moment or three that just go absolutely apeshit. Yeah, yeah. You can't you can't look away in the same way that you can't you can't skip all along the Watchtower once it comes on. Like you just it's wrong. Right, and so that's kind of what I that's kind of what I was saying is like. All of the songs, all of the songs but one are good songs, and they have moments where it's great, but it is, like, a little bit tedious to listen to it as an album. Yes. You guys are fucking wild. I don't agree at all. I was, I thought every song except Little Miss Strange was, like, was excellent on this album. Uh, And it's, like, obviously different levels of excellent, because, like, yeah, there's some that are... uh, like the tentpole songs on the album and then there's some in between ones but i i did not think usually with double albums pj can back me up on this but usually i i'm always fighting yeah. for it to become a single i'm like we could cut half of this and it could just be a single album but i don't feel that way at all on this one i would not want to lose any songs but little miss strange i'm curious do either of you feel like you could cut a whole half this album and just make it into like a perfect yeah. single yes 45 minute record absolutely really? absolutely you guys are fucking nuts because i feel like you would have to cut something that would be so good and the gods made love is number one cut little miss well, okay yes. cut it cut yeah <laughs> it's like a minute long cut burning in the midnight but, lamp release that as a single which it cut already 1983. was okay. yeah yeah but i don't think you're gonna get it down to 40 i don't know whatever well and then I mean, you how can, long is this album about, I think it's 75 minutes or something. It's in hour and 15 minutes, so 75 minutes. All right, so 1983 is 13 minutes, 14 minutes. I guess you down yeah. to 61, and then you just have to cut another 20 minutes? Yeah. I mean, you get an hour. I think you can get an hour on an LP. No. No, the longest... I th- I always thought the longest you could fit on there was like 48 minutes, but then we talked about Aftermath was like 52 minutes long they fit on an LP somehow. Yeah. So around 50 minutes, I guess. I could, I could get this down to 52 minutes, I guarantee it. I think you guys are nuts because uh, we can get into ratings and I guess I'll go for I think you're fucking nuts cuz I think this is an a straight up 10 out of 10 album. Like I Okay. It is by far the best Jimi Hendrix album we've talked about and it's No, it's not. Like and you know and you know I'm like I can be stingy with tens, man. You are very I think stingy. This is with a tens. perfect album. Okay. I I really like. It's got a couple clunkers, but they both, you can listen through them. All right. Like I think fine. I think I think that's wrong simply because Are You Experienced has, in order, 
Purple Haze, Manic <laughs> Depression, Hey Joe, yeah. The Wind Cries Mary, Fire, Foxy Lady? Yeah. Are you But then the bad songs on that one are drag it down more than there's, I think. There's not a bad song on that one. I, yeah, I, I'm with PJ. Plus, this, yeah. I got to say, I think, yeah, I like, it's, it is it is possible that it's because I'm hearing it new as opposed to Are You Experienced are all songs I've heard a gajillion times. But, like, I like these songs more than I like the Are You Experienced songs, I think. Like, Voodoo Child and The Rainy Day Dream Away and House Burning Down. Like, I think those songs are really great and i i just like this music a lot better. but then they have a noel goddamn Redding song on it that you are overlooking well, yeah, they have a noel Redding song on axis bold as love and too. i didn't give that one a 10 out of 10 did i well i know i gave it a I'm... nine because of the noel Redding song and you're I... not giving this one a nine because of the noel Redding song no because i think the rest of the material is good enough it it deserves the 10 man. i it is the, my hot take absolutely. is okay. i don't think that there's yeah. a Jimi hendrix album that's a 10 think this one like hendrix had too many ideas that he could never cut down into one perfect album like there's so much material here i agree with thomas like i agree you could cut some of this but you could cut like two songs like this is i'd say this is a seven tops maybe a six damn i gave the other two albums nines i think this is an eight jesus christ guys (laughs) what is happening this is this these are the takes man i but you also okay the thing with hendrix though you if you're gonna you're the album is different than the music in the album. It's like exactly. how he puts these things together. I don't like how he. That's does what I'm that. saying, right? And that's that's what I'm so saying. Is I'm that with Thomas. like yeah. Axis Bold is Love? I think is very similar to this album, where it's like almost it's like ninety percent amazing music, and then a couple songs that are kind of bad. But I think Axis Bold is Love wasn't put together as well. It didn't feel as cohesive to me. This one feels like a cohesive listen, and I like the direction he goes I think with this all is, the jams. I think this that, is like, less I cohesive. Think I think fully. I, I, and I think maybe some of the music on this is better. Maybe. Yeah. Like, I might grant you that. However, I just don't think, as as an album, it's kind of a tedious listen. Um, yeah. And that's, right. I, I think, I think that's where, like, I don't know, if they did cut it down to a single, maybe. Maybe a 9 or a 10 out of 10. But I think in its current state there were some songs where i just wanted to skip it so i think eight yeah i think eight out of ten i mean there's three songs on here that are perfect ten of tens like that's yeah. that's just true like if you have one song that's a ten of ten a mortal pantheon song on an album that's that's so, an awesome thing that's like yeah. flock of seagulls yeah. did that with i ran so far away but like interesting have, take it's a great song but like you have okay. three on one album, that yeah. that's insane. That is genuinely yeah. that's up there with like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones in terms of yeah, impact. Not that I would put the For Beatles sure. and the Rolling Stones on the same plane, but yeah, true. But I'm just saying in terms of like if you're gonna think of Pantheon just right off the bat, obviously they're gonna be in different levels. Someone's got to be Zeus. Someone's got to be Hephaestus. But with this, I mean, come on, he's up there. He's beyond demigod. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like yeah. he has written, like the greatest rock song of all time might be on this album. But yeah. we're reading the album. We're not reading the songs on the album. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the problem with Hendrix is those are always going to be a 10 out of far 10. away. Peter, this is the yeah. second Seven. ten out of ten you've ever given. I not ever. But on our podcast, I think you gave. I think it's the fourth. I think I gave three Beach Boys albums. Who the fuck was that? 
<laughs> Who knows? Um, I think I think I gave three Beach Boys albums tens, and I didn't give a Stones album a ten at all. So I think this is the. I think one. I gave two Stones albums tens, and I gave one Beach yeah. Boys album. Yeah. And I think you could probably guess which one. Which ones did you give the Beach Boys? You gave Pet Sounds up. Fucking. Obviously. I'm pretty sure Pet Sounds, Wild Honey. Oh, Wild Honey. Although is Wild good. Honey might have been a nine. You didn't give Wild uh, Honey Beach a ten. Boys, Beach Boys, Love You. Love You is also good. I don't think you gave either of them 10, so I think you give... And then I don't know if we rated Smile, the, like the reissue one, but if we did, that was That's a, a 10. That is me. a 10. I agree. It's phenomenal. But so two or three, and then no Stones albums, and then this one. That's okay. I mean, this is a crazy 10 for me, Pete. I feel like you should be excited for I'm, me, but no, instead... No, it's blowing my mind that you gave it a 10. I did not think you would give it a 10. All right. Um, I mean, we'll see how this goes. But like, I'm, glad you, I mean, I'm really glad you liked it. There you go. Yeah. I think the lowest I could be persuaded to go is a nine. And I but think nine is I'm fair. I'm sticking with the 10 right now. I just don't think I can give um, this a better rating than the last two, personally. Yeah. Well, any any more thoughts, any more burning thoughts you need to share on Jimmy? Anything we should be looking forward to for the rest of his very short career here, Thomas? <laughs> He's making a face that says, not really. <laughs> All right. Thanks for being on, Thomas. Yeah, it's my you. pleasure, guys. It was my pleasure to walk off with a deep shrug at the end of that. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Thank you for having that. Me on. Has been Electric Ladyland, the last experience album we will ever hear. True. Yeah. And uh, not our last episode on on Jimi Hendrix, though. Thank Thank goodness. Yeah. We'll We'll get back to Hendrix next week. Yeah. Well. We'll see you at the crossroads. And I'll see you through that purple haze. I'll see you in the room full of mirrors. Beach Boys Boys production. What console is that on, Pete? That sounds fun. Uh, it was originally released for the Xbox One and PlayStation 4. I'm playing it on uh, PlayStation 5, though. How the fuck did you get a PlayStation 5? Yeah, I was unemployed for a long time last year for reasons unrelated to COVID. Nothing to do with COVID. Just, I got, you know, I quit. I just got You got shit canned. You yeah. get it. Yeah. Anyway, um... I was I was unemployed for a long time, so I had the luxury to download Twitter, make an account to solely follow like restocking notification bots and stuff. Hmm. And after like three weeks, I I got one from GameStop. So, dude, I want one. So if bad. you have the time to dedicate, you can do it. Is what I will say. I, I missed like the first four times that I you know, but I finally got one. So.